If you have your Bible, join me in 2 Peter chapter 1, 2 Peter chapter 1 this evening. It is good to have some of Jared's family visiting with us. They're from Pennsylvania, came down to Pigeon Forge, and then stopped in. So we're right there next to Pigeon Forge. That's the moral of the story. So it's good to have them here. Appreciate y'all stopping in to visit. I believe that one of the great attacks of Satan in every generation, and ours is no exception to this, is that Satan attacks the simplest Bible doctrines to try and undermine the life of the believer who is trying to be rightly related in fellowship with God. And so two things that you often see in each generation Satan attacking are the word of God, even going all the way back to the Garden of Eden, hath God said, and then the plan of God. So as Satan attacks the word of God, he seeks to undermine it. And you see this in our day and age. And if you don't believe it, just walk into any store and look at the Bible section. Uh, whether it be in Walmart, whether it be in the dollar store, or whether it be in some type of a family or Christian bookstore. And you see the diversity of scriptures that are there on the shelf. Uh, many times they would be very weak in their interpretation uh, of the original that the Lord gave to us. And the attempt of Satan is to undermine the word of God so that people don't know what they can or cannot trust and believe in. The other is God's plan and specifically his plan of redemption. This began all the way back, even going before Christ, but certainly in the time of Christ and in the New Testament. So when we come to 2 Peter chapter 1, we begin to see an attack being rebutted by Peter on the plan for redemption for those who trust in Jesus Christ. Join me, if you will, in verse number 3. So 2 Peter chapter 1, verse number 3. According as his divine power hath given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness... ...through the knowledge of him that had called us to glory and virtue. So, from the very beginning, Peter's making a declaration here... ...that God has given us what we need for life and for virtue and godliness growing in him. Verse 4. Whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises... ...that by these ye might be partakers of the divine nature having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. So there's two paradigms presented. There is the destruction of the world that exists. It exists in the realm of our lust and the world and the way that it destroys us. Then there's the other side. There is the divine nature, the nature of God in which we can be partakers of. And so we have this dynamic here in which we can be divine partakers. And then we have the other dynamic, which is the destruction through the lust of this world. All right, continue in verse 5. And beside this, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue and to virtue knowledge. To knowledge, temperance. To temperance, patience. Patience, godliness. To godliness, brotherly kindness. To brotherly kindness, charity. For if these things be in you and abound... They make you that you shall neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. So there is a way to be barren and unfruitful in our knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. There is a way not to be barren. We'll come back to that. Verse 9. But he that lacketh these things, the things that proceeded there in verse 5, 6, and 7. But he that lacketh these things is blind 
and cannot see afar off, and hath forgotten that he was purged from his old sins. Wherefore the rather, brethren, give diligence to make your calling and election sure. For if ye do these things, ye shall never fall. For so an entrance shall be ministered unto you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Wherefore, I will not be negligent to put you always in remembrance of these things, though ye know them, and be established in the present truth. Yea, I think it meant as long as I am in this tabernacle, his body, to stir you up by putting you in remembrance. I know you know these things, but because of the nature of man to forget them, I feel it's my responsibility to remind you of them. Verse 14. Knowing that shortly I must put off this, my tabernacle, that temporary dwelling of the body, even as our Lord Jesus Christ hath showed me. Moreover, I will endeavor that ye may be able after my decease to have these things always in remembrance. For we have not followed cunningly devised fables when we made known unto you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For he received from God the Father honor and glory when there came such a voice to him from the excellent glory. This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. And this voice, which came from heaven, we heard when we were with him in the holy mount. We have also a more sure word of prophecy. We heard God speak from heaven. But we have an even more sure word of prophecy. Whereunto ye do well that ye take heed as unto a light that shineth in a dark place until the day dawn and the day star arise in your hearts. Knowing this first. That no prophecy of the scripture is of any private interpretation. Here's that attack on the word of God. For the prophecy came not in old time by the will of men, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. Now jump to chapter 2 verse 1. But there were false prophets also among the people, even as there shall be false teachers among you. Who privately shall bring in damnable heresies, even denying the Lord that bought them. And bring upon themselves swift destruction. We see quite a bit here, and we're going to go through it. But I want to start off by getting you thinking, so I want you to answer this question. Now think about it and don't answer it yet. Can you be saved and not know it? Can you be saved on your way to heaven when you die, last breath on earth, first breath in heaven? Can you be saved? And not know that you are saved. Now, depending on how you ask that question changes the answer of it. So in fairness to you, let me help you with the question. Can an individual have asked Jesus Christ to save them and at a later point in life, not know that they are saved. So if you ask this question, someone could go, well, no one can be saved without having any knowledge of who Jesus Christ is. That would be a fairly true statement. Can anybody give me an exception to that statement? 
the age of accountability, a, a, a child, or perhaps someone who is no longer a child, but because of mental handicap, has never had the opportunity in their life because of the mental handicap to make an, a clear understanding of accepting and rejecting Christ because they're just mentally not able to do that. Um, I do believe that there are individuals who have lived on this earth for far more than five, six years, uh, even into their 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s, who have never come to the age of accountability, if you will. They have never come to a place in which they have an understanding of who God is because of a mental handicap. This is not someone who has never heard the gospel. Do I believe that there are people who have lived 40, 50, 60 years who have clear understanding and ability to think, who have never one time heard of Jesus Christ? Yes, and that is a completely different scenario. But let's go back to the original question. Can someone be saved and not know it? All right, now, to keep from embarrassing any one individual, and since no one's going to talk anyway because they dare not, if you say... It is possible for someone to be saved and not know it. Raise your hand. I've got like six people. All right, so now we're going to see if six people respond to the other side of this. All right. Is it possible? Is it not possible? <laughs> I got a lot of double negatives going on here. Can someone not be saved and not know it? Uh, it, it? The other question, whatever I'm trying to ask. Raise your hand if you think the other side is true. So one side that I just asked and said... Is it possible for someone to be saved and not know it? And you're saying, yes, it's possible for someone to be saved and not know it. That these people just raise their hand. Now, if you're saying, no, it's not possible for someone to be saved and not know it, raise your hand. So I've got the other side. And again, depending on what you mean by the question, I understand both answers to this. Let's go back to this passage and see what this passage says specifically about this. But before we do... There's another verse that helps us with this in 1 John. Any takers? 1 John 5.13 says what? These things have I written unto you. That's not fair, David. These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God. That ye may, what's the next word? Know, that ye may know. So if he's written these things, that ye may know... Is it therefore easy to imply or to infer, excuse me, from that verse that you can not know? Yes or no? Come on. Yes. Okay, I got one taker. All right, thank you. Let's look back now in 2 Peter. 2 Peter chapter 1. Let's look at verse 9. But he that lacketh these things, the things that he mentioned before, is blind and cannot see afar off and hath forgotten that he was purged from his old sins. Wherefore the rather, brethren, give diligence to make your calling and election sure. All right, what does calling and election refer to? Well, your calling and election would refer to your salvation. The Holy Spirit calls men to salvation. He draws, he pulls, he pleads, he woos, whatever word you want to use there. So the calling is the wooing of the Holy Spirit of God for us to recognize that Jesus Christ died and that we have a need of a Savior. 
So there is the calling. The election is that point at which we accept Jesus Christ in his foreknowledge. He knows who will accept Christ, and we accept Christ. So that is that process of the drawing of the Holy Spirit in which we accept Jesus Christ. So giving all diligence, make your calling and your election, your salvation, sure. So, therefore, can we infer again that my calling and election can be unsure? And you guys are right here with me tonight. Everybody's going, I'm not answering this. Okay, so we, we can see because of 1 John 5, 13, that it is, these things were written so that I can know. Because it is possible that I not know. I'm supposed to give all diligence to make my calling and election sure. So therefore, is it possible that I could be unsure? So my answer to this question is, can you be saved and not know it? And the answer is yes, but let's explain that out. So can you be saved and not know it, meaning not certain of my salvation? Well, the answer to that is yes. Could an individual have asked Christ to save them and then later on in their life no longer believe what they believed when they were younger? All right, here's my three situations in which I believe, and one kind of doubles up here. One, when I say someone can be saved and not know it. First of all, I believe that individuals can be unsure of their salvation. Why is this so critical? Because I am to give all diligence to add to my faith. Well, what saves me? For by grace are you saved through faith. So my faith is what saves me. Is there a faith that is not saving faith? Yeah, absolutely, there is. So there, there's more than one aspect of faith. There is saving faith in which I trust in Jesus Christ. And there is what we would call our faith, our walk in Jesus Christ. So I have to grow in my walk with Jesus Christ. I grow in my faith, my trust, my dependence on him for daily life. But there is saving faith. And because verse 10 refers to my calling and election, I believe that what we're talking about here is saving faith. When I am saved, what happens to my sins? My sins are purged. They're washed away. So verse 9 says that if I don't do these things, then I become blind. And at that point, I can forget that I was purged from my old sins. So really going back to 1 John 5, 13 first, it says these things right under you, you may know that you have eternal life. So there is the process at which I can be unsure of my salvation. I think this happens, generally speaking, among teenagers. So one of the reasons I think this happens is because when a kid gets to be 12, 13, 14 years old, and anybody who has a kid who is 12, 13, 14 years old can clearly attest to this, they lose their mind. And, and their minds just rewire, and they, they lose their ever-loving minds. And so at that point of their life, oftentimes, they will begin to struggle because their brains are trying to figure everything out. Sometimes you wonder how they can walk and chew gum at the same time at that age. I mean, it's just, it really is a physical process that's going on. But it's more than that. 
it goes now from a childlike faith, my mommy said so faith, to a, an ability to reason and think and to try and figure it out on their own. And that's not a bad thing. It's not a bad thing that at those ages, 12, 13, 14, hopefully we can get to 16, 17, 18 quick, that, that they begin to come to a place to where they begin to think through and they begin to make formative opinions on their own. That's not a bad thing. As long as along the way, we are there to help them in this process. Now, one of the things, just side note here, in America, we have taken those adolescent years and we have stretched them, and we have done our very best to let them be kids as long as they can be kids. And as a result, many times, they're not just kids at 12, 13, 14, but at 25 and 30 and 35 and 40, they're still acting like children. And so we have to be careful with that as a culture, but again, this is just a side note. So let's go back. So can someone have trusted in Christ and become unsure about their faith in Christ. Yes, yeah, certainly they can. This happens, I believe, often in young junior high age. There's another age group that I think this really happens a ton in. And it is 18 to 22. And the statistics bear this out. Why is it so common 18 to 22? College. Now all of a sudden, the right person in the right position, says the wrong thing loud enough and long enough until people begin to believe it. And so you take someone who doesn't believe in God, you put them in a position of authority, you add some letters behind their name and maybe a couple in front of their name, and now all of a sudden they're an authority, and so they have to know. And when they say something and they ridicule and they mock and they begin to attack a faith, that was never properly developed, then what happens is all of a sudden now, this person goes, well, well, maybe God doesn't exist. And there begins to be an attack on their faith in an unsurety that comes with it. It is why so many in good conservative Christian circles now believe that the key to helping young people stay sure of their salvation is to teach them apologetics, to teach them the defense of Scripture. Now, I will tell you this. I believe that teaching apologetics to young people is a very good thing and a very important thing. It is not the key thing, according to me. And here's the reason why. Because when Jesus Christ gave the great commandment, it was not that I have all knowledge in defense of the scripture. Though Peter did teach that we were to be ready to give an account. But I believe that when I have someone who loves and walks with the Lord and has great fellowship with the Lord, no one's going to come and attack that and win. So, you now have the individual who has trusted in Christ, but because of other teaching, they have become unsure about it. Perhaps it's not even false teaching as it is a lack of teaching. So that they get saved as a child and they just don't add to their faith. And so over time, they just get older and they don't remember. How many of you remember your birth? How do you know you're alive? 
well, how do you know your birthday? Your mommy told you. That's how you know. Your, your, your mommy tells you, and so you go, oh, okay, well, mommy told you. That's how I know that was my birthday. I was there, but I don't remember it. And yet, I'm completely sure that I was born. Now, the day could be wrong, but I'm completely sure I was born. Now, I am more sure of the day that Moriah was born, and the day that Justice was born, and the day that Eden was born, and especially the twins, because they are 9, 19, 19. And Karis was born at 9, 29. Come on, 10 minutes, man. I could have had 9, 19, 9, 19, 19. That would have been perfect. But I am sure of those, because I remember them. But the reality is, as sure as I am of their birthdays, I am sure I had one because I'm here. You see, my life proves my birth, not my remembrance of the day. But there have been plenty of good pastors who have stood up and say, if you can't remember the moment you trusted in Jesus Christ, then you're probably not saved. And I'm going, I don't remember it. I don't remember it. Rachel's dad was there. That's all I got. I, I, was, I was five years old. I remember going into my parents' room afterwards and saying, so I'll never go to hell now? My parents go, no. That, that's all I got. But I know I'm saved not because I remember it, but because of the life that I have in Christ. I am sure I'm alive not because I remember my birth, but because of the life that I have. So you can be unsure of your salvation. You can also forget that you were saved. And when I say this, I mean literally forget. What is the description used of faith in Scripture about individuals who come to Jesus Christ, come to God through Jesus Christ? What's the description of faith? What kind of faith? Childlike faith. Childlike faith. Okay. So is childlike faith able to save yes or no yes absolutely it is are there plenty of other things that you don't remember from the time you were five six seven years old yes i i, I had a kindergarten teacher i'm sure of it i got no idea who her name first teacher i can remember is my third grade teacher mrs miller i can remember mrs miller other than that i don't remember any teacher up until that point in my life I might remember fourth grade, I'm not sure. Fifth grade, I got dropped on my head, what can I say? I mean, I don't remember these things. I don't remember them. But because of a progression of life, I know those things happen. Well, what if a child accepts Jesus Christ as their Savior and in childlike faith genuinely believes? But over years, there's no teaching. There's no one to support them in that. There's no one to help them in that. Can a child literally forget that they were saved? I believe that that can happen. I absolutely believe that that can. I believe that their faith can be genuine and saving, and yet their knowledge of God because of whatever reason. I went on a missions trip to Long Island, Bahama. Long Island, Bahama is one of my favorite places in the world. I love going there. I love the people of Long Island. It's just a wonderful place. It is 90 miles long, and at its widest spot, it's one mile wide. And most of it, it's not that wide. There's one road. That's it. it you can't get lost. There's literally one road on the whole island, and it runs north to south. And so you can most of the way see the water of the ocean on both sides. It's a great place. 
And I went there on a missions trip. And when I lived in the Bahamas, I actually went there and we were helping with the church several times. Anyway, there was a lot going on. But I went there on a missions trip one time. And I'd been back in the States, went down there. We had this great week of vacation Bible school. We saw young people saved. It was great. We were so excited until we came near the end of vacation Bible school. And as we were starting to finish up and pack things up, the, the fella at the church was beginning to pack things up. I was confused. Well, what's going on? Oh, well, I'm leaving the island. You're what? Yeah, yeah, I've got to go to another island. I'm thinking, well, you're going for a couple weeks? No, 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 I'm moving to another island for a couple years. I would love to go back to Long Island, Bahamas on a mission trip. We were talking about places for our teens to go this summer. I would love for them to go to Long Island. It's a great place. But I can't go back. Because if we go back and we work with these young people, there's not a church there to follow up with them. And so what we're doing is we're helping people come to Christ, but then we're completely leaving them. And it's heartbreaking. And they need a pastor at that church. They need someone to go there. And there was an American fellow who was there. He didn't believe that a Bahamian would ever take over as long as he was there. So he just up and left. So there's a house, there's a church, and there's no one to run it. And it's sitting there on this beautiful tropical island. And when I look at it, it's so heartbreaking. Because here were young people who I genuinely believe got saved. But since that time, they've never heard anything about Jesus Christ. So is it possible to be saved and forget? I mean, it, sometimes it is just simply they, they forget. Sometimes it's being blinded. So the word, you're blinded and you forget. So the idea here is that because of your sinfulness, you can't see clearly what you did. So that you live a life that becomes so sin-oriented that you look back. In this similar passage, you've got to go a little bit further here in the passage, the Bible talks about Lot. Well, Lot was the perfect example of a backslidden believer. Lot was a terrible man. There is no way you can look at Lot and not consider Lot to be a scumbag. Okay, Lot is a terrible, terrible person. You go, well, pastor, that's a little hard. People knock on his door, and he says to them, take my two daughters and do whatever you want to them. That's my definition of scumbag. Look it up. I'm telling you. That, that, that's what Lot was. He was a terrible, terrible man. And yet the Bible declares him as this righteous man. Just Lot. He was a saved man. He was a terrible man. Because he believed in Jesus Christ, but his life was not like that. So according to 2 Peter, you can literally become so sinful, you can get so far away from God that you can be blinded and forget. And then the other idea here is you can be deceived. When you look there in chapter 2, verse 1, that there are false teachings that come in. And those false teachings can deceive you away from the truth of Jesus Christ. Have you ever known someone who, as a child, believed and trusted in Jesus Christ, and then as they got older, fell into a different religious belief system? Now, please understand this. Are all of the people who end up here saved? That's not what I'm saying. Because that is not always the case. But do I believe that some of those people are? And the answer to that is yes. 
I do believe that an individual can put saving faith in Jesus Christ and they can be deceived away from the truth. And that's why you go, well, Pastor, I, I just don't see that. Why is Peter writing this if that's not the case? Look, brethren, I am writing to you. And I'm writing to you because you've got to make your calling and election sure. Because you can forget that you were purged from your old sins. Because you can become blinded. John said, I'm writing these things that you may know. I want you to be sure. Don't live in this uncertain place. Peter goes on to say, look, there, there's false teaching out there. There's people who are going to deceive you. And while I'm in this tabernacle, I'm going to call you to remembrance. I'm going to look at you and I'm going to say, this is what salvation is. Stop adding to it. Stop trying to complicate it. Stop trying to stray away from it. Don't be deceived. Don't be unsure. Make your calling and election sure. Become confident. Become assured of your salvation. Now, there are two things we need to understand here. There are two different truths taught in Scripture. There is eternal security. Eternal security is the fact that once I am saved, I am always saved. Jesus taught this. He says, look, when you've trusted in Christ, you'll be placed in my hand here in John chapter 28. And I will put my Father's hand over you and I will secure you. And in John 10, he's saying, look, no man can pluck you out of my hand. You are eternally secure. My eternal security depends on one person. And that person is God. So in order for me to not be eternally secure, to not have everlasting life, eternal life, in order for me to not have eternal security, then God has to be defeated. So my eternal security is completely dependent upon God. And since God cannot be defeated, therefore I am eternally secure no matter what. So what that means is that an individual can get saved. And then at some point they can become unsure. They can forget. They can even be deceived. But their security is based on God. And their deception does not change who God is. That's eternal security. Then there is salvation assurance. And salvation assurance is really what I'm talking about when I ask the question, can a person be saved and not know it? Assurance is my knowledge of my salvation. Assurance is me being able to rest in the fact that I know that I am saved. My assurance, unfortunately, depends on me. Yours depends on you. So salvation assurance depends on the, the individual. Security depends on God. So therefore, my assurance is tied now. And it is tied to my relationship with God. And when my assurance becomes tied to my walk with God, now, how is that affected here according to 2 Peter chapter 1? Giving all diligence, add to your faith, my belief in Christ, virtue. So I have to grow in my belief system. And as I grow in my belief and my walk with the Lord, then my assurance grows. Because now I'm in a different place. You see, when it depends on me, I have a responsibility to make my calling and election sure. Peter's clearly teaching it here. I can't take that out of Scripture. You go, well, well Pastor, no, no, no. You, you should, I, I can't. No, for sure, 
unless I add to my faith. And if I don't add to my faith, I can become deceived. As a pastor, one of, one of the most difficult times for me is dealing with people at the end of life who have not walked with the Lord. People who have walked with the Lord, it's easy. I'm just going to be honest, it's easy. Uh, when I go to funerals and people will say things like, man, this must be a hard one. No, this one is not hard. It's not hard, honestly. Look, when I went to Kara's grandparents' funeral, here are folks who have lived to be almost 90 years old, who have been married for over 70 years, who have walked with the Lord for decades, who have a godly heritage, who have godly children, who have godly grandchildren and great-grandchildren. I mean, you look at that and you go, this is easy, man. They, they know where they're going. You go, Kara's other grandparents are still alive, 92, 93, something like that, between the two of them, I don't know. You go and you talk to Grandma and Grandpa, and you say to them, Hey, Grandma and Grandpa, how are you doing? You talk to them for a little while, and Grandpa will say, Man, I'm just ready to go home. We're, we're at your house. No, 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 no. I'm ready to go home. I'm ready to go to heaven. I'd go sit with Mr. Floyd. Mr. Floyd was 89 years old. Mr. Floyd would say, I'm done. I'm good. I'm ready to go home. His wife passed away about a year before him. Miss Ellestine, every time I would see her, Miss Ellestine had had a stroke. She was probably 70% of what she was before her stroke. And Miss Ellestine would say, I'm just ready to go home. I'm just ready. Because I know the Lord's got me here for a reason. I don't know what it is, but I'm ready to go home. And when you're around somebody who knows, it's no problem. But when you're around somebody at end of life who has probably trusted in Christ but has never added to their faith, they, they aren't even sure. And then as a pastor, if you're going to preach at that funeral, you're going, I, I, I don't know. I don't know if they're saved or not. They don't even know. And if you can get to them before they pass away, you have an opportunity to talk with them and to help them understand. And so many times that individual will ask questions. Oh, how can I know for sure? How can I, how can I? And I'm going, but it's... It, you walk with the Lord. This is what scripture, and we come back to the record and we try to show them in scripture, but there's a struggle. People who have never done anything with the Lord, it's easy. You know, you know that they weren't saved. And if they could come back, they would tell everybody in that place, get saved and get saved now. But it's that middle group that struggles so much because they have no assurance. I genuinely believe it is one of the saddest situations at the end of life is the individual who's just floundered in their faith. But I can have assurance of my salvation. I can make my calling and election sure in the way that I have assurance is that when I come into a real walk with God, when I have fellowship, you see, my assurance in Jesus Christ and my assurance in my salvation is a result of my fellowship with him. When I love the Lord, I God with all I heart, with all I soul, with all I mind, then it's easy to know. It's easy for me to know that I am on my way to heaven. It is easy for me to have proof of my life. Ted, well, I used to call him Super Ted. Ted was a brilliant man. He, he, if you go to the Smithsonian today, there are satellites and things in the Smithsonian there in D.C. that Ted designed and developed. He worked for the CIA for years and years and years, and he has all of this technology that he was responsible for designing. To try and have a normal conversation with Ted was almost impossible because it's like, here am I and here's Ted's brain. And so I'm, we're just not on the same page. I don't have any idea what he's talking about. I mean, he was just brilliant. Ted, when did you get saved? I don't know. 
what do you mean, Ted? You don't know when you got saved. I don't know. Ted, are you saved? Yeah, I'm definitely saved. Okay, so, Ted, was it like a revival meeting you got saved at? Was it when you were a kid at church? You go, no, I was an adult. You were an adult and you don't know when you got saved? No, I don't know when I got saved. But Ted, how do you know you're saved? Scripture's clear. His spirit bears record with my spirit. He said, I know I'm saved. Um, you don't remember praying to get saved, Brother Ted? No. But, come on, Brother Ted, you got to help me out here, Rand. There's got to be something. He would never give you anything. Say, but Brother Ted, I don't understand. I have proof that I'm saved. Because my spiritual life, my walk with God assures me. What are you trusting to get you to heaven? Oh, Jesus Christ, without a doubt. I know that I can't be saved except for my faith in him. I know I'm saved. I have no doubts that Super Ted was saved. But I didn't understand his testimony a lick. Again, he's here, I'm here. But he said, my spiritual life proves that I have spiritual life. My physical life proves I was born, whether I know it or not. When it happened, I don't know. But it's the walk with God in that fellowship. Another way of looking at it is this. Closeness produces confidence. When I am close with God, I am confident of my salvation. When I am not close with God, my salvation can begin, my assurance can begin to struggle. Because it comes back to giving all diligence. Now look, why is this important? Peter said, I'm going to call you to remembrance about this as long as I'm in this tabernacle. Because Satan's going to attack this. And we have a more sure word of prophecy. He's going to attack that too. But most in here are either parents or going to be parents. And there's a reality that there is an attack on young people today struggling with their salvation. Because as long as Satan can get us to struggle here, we never move and grow forward producing fruit. We become barren and unfruitful. That's exactly what Satan wants. It's not all what God wants. So look, a couple things. First of all, be diligent. Be giving all diligence. Work at this. Don't let it be passive. It is not okay. A man I know, he, he had, when he got saved, he got saved at a very young age. At the church he grew up in, he said that they would often ask for testimonies in his church. And his mama made him get up every time they asked. And I think he said it was every week. And he would get up, and from the time he was three years old, he would get up until he got saved. And he got saved. And he got saved. And he'd just keep on. And he'd just keep on. And he'd just keep on. And he'd keep on. Why? His mama said, look, I am going to give all diligence to make sure you understand your salvation. I got two kids on the front row here, both of whom who have trusted in Christ as their Savior. It doesn't mean that I have given up on teaching them about salvation and trying to help them grow. Because we give diligence. It's not something i got to be passive about. Secondly, be repetitive. Peter said, look, I know you know this. I know you know this, 
But as long as I'm here, I'm going to call you into remembrance. I'm going to keep after this. So I'm going to be diligent about it, and I'm going to keep after it and keep after it and keep after it and keep after it. And then be vigilant. To be vigilant is to look for when this issue starts to creep up. Parents, if you've got a teenager in here tonight, a college kid, when they begin to ask questions, don't give them rote answers. Have a conversation. Be vigilant. When they ask that question, there's a reason behind that question. And so begin to search it out. And don't let it just be, well, they, they, they seem to be doing fine. They haven't asked any questions. I don't see any problem. I think they're doing okay. No, 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 no. Stay constantly involved. Don't let this get away. Now, we look at that and we go, okay, that's easy to see for a parent who is in the place of a teenager under them. But what about yourself? Peter's not writing this to teenagers. This is being Inspired by the Holy Spirit of God to you and I to say, give diligence to make sure your calling, your election, your salvation, add to your faith virtue, to virtue, knowledge, to knowledge, temperance, temperance, add all of these things, grow in Christ, walk in fellowship with Him, and stay after it. Because if you don't, you're going to become unfruitful. And let's be honest, isn't that pretty much the case for American Christianity? We're a fairly unfruitful Christian group. And I'm not good with that. I want us to become fruitful. And to do that, we've got to start adding. Don't stay here. Let's move on.